You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Welcome to the Screener Squad. Today we're talking about Severance, the new Apple TV Plus show from creator Dan Erickson, showrunner and director Ben Stiller, and starring Adam Scott, supported by Patricia Arquette, Britt Lauer, Zach Cherry, John Turturro, and Tramel Tillman. Severance is where the question is asked, what would happen if you could sever your memories of your personal life and your work life, but have both versions exist separately while sharing the same body, but none of the same memories. So let me introduce you to who I'm here with today. I'm Bob, and I've got with me Tessa. Are we getting overtime for this? Absolutely not. Neil. Hello. And Ryan. Hello, hello, hello. Okay, so you know we've got a show about a creepy, possibly evil corporation called Lumen, which if you look up the meaning of that word, it's pretty much either the space inside of a needle or the space inside of a blood vessel, pretty much the inside of a vein. We've got Mark, Helly, Dylan, and Irving working in a department called Macro Data Refinement. And like we said, you know, they come to work, they get in the elevator, but before they do, they switch their key cards and leave their personal effects, get in the elevator, and on the way up, the chip that they've had implanted in their head turns off their outside memories and on the work memory. So they exist at work, you know, then they get back in the elevator, the chip turns back on and they go home, but neither is the wiser to what's going on in either place. So We've got lots of exploration of what it means to separate or compartmentalize. There's lots of cool stuff in this show. You know, we've got a very James Bond intro, I thought. Ben Stiller said he found the artist that did the intro on Instagram. So make sure y'all keep posting your work. The Lumen headquarters, or at least building we're seeing, kind of nods to the gargantuanness of the Apple campus, which is, I, I think it's funny because it's an Apple Plus show. We've got this really effective camera focus electronically computer controlled dolly move when we're seeing the the chip turn on and off in the elevator that i thought was cool there's a lot of aspects to talk about but going back to your discussing the building like the architecture is a style called brutalism and the really fun thing about brutalism is is that it's like there's no ego it's all about like service and not like having things that are like gilded or covered in gold or you know like baroque or anything like super fancy with like frills it's all very like it's concrete uh simple lines you know it's buildings that use that style are usually like courthouses libraries you know things like that where you do like a civic duty or something and so this whole not having an ego kind of feeds into how these characters are the innies aren't supposed to have a self. They don't count as a person, a real person. So anyways, that was something fun. I thought that the architecture kind of fed into the theme. You know, just a nod to the actual building they're using for the Lumen building. The cinematographer was asked in an interview, you know, what did they do to make the building look so imposing? And like Tessa said, no, it just looks like that. Like <laughs> they just had to put the cameras outside. They obviously went above and beyond to make the inside, which is maybe something we can get to. You know, our characters have home lives. We see a sister of the main character who's got a author husband that's really good but the inside of this building is stylistically off the charts i thought 
you know, we're basically working with white walls, which I think it comes across on screen so well, you know, um, that they've taken what almost looks like the stuff from back rooms, if you're into the Internet, uh, with a green carpet instead of yellow walls, and really just made this a, a tone ratcheting think thriller might be too heavy a word, but I like the look of the inside for how imposing it seems to be psychologically on the characters. It's sterile for me because we get into the mythos of this corporation and its history and how they've put the founder on God's pedestal. And there's three to four volumes of just fortune cookie shit. He's spewed of rise forth from your deathbed and serve the greater like shit like that, that they're that's their proverbs. And because the environment's so sterile, they have to latch on to anything. And we see it with how they're rewarded with erasers or finger torture devices. The simplest things that we don't even consider stealing from our offices, they covet if they do a good job. On work, by the way, they have no idea what they're doing. They collect and sort numbers that translate to something else, and they have no idea, but it's all they've got. This show... I would put this show on the level of saying it's art. Like, I reserve that for shows like Hannibal or Legion. They put so much work into every little thing, but it seems effortless how it goes up there. The subtle music, the look. Like, when we're in the the, uh, the innies, everything's bright. It's white, but it's bright. And then everything outside, because it's outside of work, is night or early morning, so it's dark and there's a lot of shadows on half of people's faces because you're only seeing half the person and this show raises so many weird questions of these innies actually become a whole new person but they have zero rights they have zero lives outside those elevator doors as far as them being like different people like inside and outside i've noticed the one that is pretty similar is mark i feel like he's pretty much the same inside and outside of work as opposed to the other ones i feel like it has something to do with what his what propelled him to do this you know his motivations i think make his innie and Audi be similar because his reasoning was great grief and his grief transcends the threshold of the elevator so he's still basically the same person because his grief is so strong and the other characters, they joined up for whatever reasons they have. But I think that maybe explains why Mark is kind of the same guy. I would agree. And we know why he thought he should do it, but we don't know what he thought he would actually accomplish other than... Numb? I'm not myself for eight hours, eight, nine hours a day. But the process is a flip of a switch that for the innies, they step in the elevator. They don't go eat. They don't go to bed. They blink their eyes and they're right back at work. Every every moment of their lives is this little aquarium. And for Mark, it's just I go home, I, I walk out the parking lot, I go home, I eat, I do whatever, I go to sleep, I get up, go to work. So he's he's just off. yeah, he's off. But did he really think that would accomplish anything? Other than putting the grief on pause? Yeah. But yeah. You have to process it. Like grief it takes time and all he's doing is prolonging it. For his Audi and his innie is just there suffering and not knowing why and just showing up with like puffy eyes and everybody's like what's with you You've been crying oh you know while we're talking about this right here and before we get to the break room which I can't best double entendre of the year so far um you know the wellness center I wanted to talk about so 
the boss at work is Harmony Cobell, played by uh, Miss Arquette, who's playing a really steely, metered, almost a, a really specific cadence to her voice. She's not interested in how anybody's feeling or doing. At one point, she punishes Mark and says, you know, this is really going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, so I hope you can learn from it, which is, oh, man, that passive-aggressive parent shit is is great. But one of the ways that people at work are um, monitored, I don't know if that's the right word, but one of the ways that they are, let's say, conditioned by the uh, people that are heading this organization is Cobell sends Mark to the wellness center, which at first it makes it sound like, you know, we're taking you to this quiet serene room where there's water spilling over and candles lit and telling you things about your any but the more the show goes on it seems like that might be a form of torture to me especially with mark because like we've mentioned mark came in here because he lost his wife and severance isn't like neil said it's not offering you any catharsis it may give you the reprieve from feeling like that all day long with the grief but you're not it's definitely there as soon as he wakes up on that elevator, including crying in his car on the way into the building every day. But what did you guys think about the wellness center and how Mark, you know, there's a really sly move, I thought, by Cabell, where at one point she's in Mark's house and steals a candle that was his wife's, who we know is dead, and then has the candle lit in an extra wellness center uh you know checkup that she wanted to send him on what do you guys think about cobell it almost seems like she's trying to set him up for failure like i don't know if she's just trying to test him because scent smell is like one of the strongest like senses to trigger a memory so i don't know if she was just trying to test like how well the severance was working or if she just wanted him to like get in trouble i don't know my assumption is she's pushing the boundaries of the program and it doesn't matter if he's consumed by it. She is every bad stereotype of every boss in TV shows, movie, and real life of every little, you know, like like Bob said, this even keel, you are very disappointing right now. And then she picks very key moments to yell and even throws, I'm going to throw something at your head now and does it. Cause she knows he's just going to take it. He's a sponge. He's not going to react to it in any way. So it feels like she's pushing them all to, to better the program. And if they're consumed in it, the program got better for it. So be it. Let's get you in here, Ryan. One person we haven't mentioned at all is Petey, who is at some point before the show starts leading the office that we see uh, the four people working in and is no longer working there and comes to mark on the outside where he's had a let's call it procedure to uh what did they call it guys Re he's reintegrate he's been reintegrated so his chip has been turned off so he's coming to mark who knows nothing of pd and the inside of lumen what did you think about that kicking off uh what eventually is all our characters search for what's really going on I think it was an, a good way to introduce that connection to the outside and to also kind of establish that he had this friendship with him kind of first starts to show you that these people can form these human connections, even though they're trying to strip all these things away from them on the inside. Like the architecture feels sterile. Everything feels sterile and empty and just so corporate. 
and cult and almost cult like in that same way. And I, I, I think that introducing this character that was ostensibly his friend and they said, Oh yeah, he, they, they likes the, he laughs at your jokes. I think it just reinforces that like as, as cold as the environment and some of the characters feel in the beginning, I think it's, I thought it was a good way to start introducing that. Like, no, these people actually do have real human connections in here and they're, they're just as human as their, their Audis, the people on the outside. Go ahead. Tessa. I was just going to say when they first go in the office, how labyrinthine it is and they're like turning tons of corners and i'm just like where is this office because in the first run through it takes a while and it's just like they're rats in a maze and my mind was like does their job even matter are they just guinea pigs are they just an experiment is this an actual end product or are they still in beta testing thought the tone of the show was neat in that they're really you know i think neil had uh, mentioned they really meter out the what's going on in this show to the point that um you know everybody might not be totally satisfied with the ending but i thought it was just a great pull on the hook for a, a season two that it's been renewed but i thought the comedy developed in a really neat way i like that heli is not about this when she wakes up and where we get to where she is at the end of episode eight before the finale like, I thought that progression was neat. You know, a lot of times we get the one member of the team that's not down, and it's got to be that one time where they tell the story about their past that, you know, we get everybody in. But I like that, you know, she really does literally do every just about everything she can do to try and change her situation down there to no avail. But while Mark may be the main character, Helly's the audience surrogate because she wakes up when we wake up into this. And we're getting baby spoon-fed pieces, and she's having the roughest time. This is not a life-threatening job or anything, but it's pushing her and breaking her, and you're rooting for her to get the fuck out. And her Audi's like, no, we're not leaving. You're not a person. I make the decisions. Like They communicate you know, spoiler, they communicate via videotape with each other, and it's so alien to watch yourself tell you what you're going to do, but it's not you. One thing I liked about Holly's character is eventually when she's on the, you know, not on board, but when her and the team are, you know, uh, working like a team now, there's a point where they've got to get the work done. So she's got to, you know, finish the end of the quarter to hit the quota. And she hits 100% on her little terminal and it plays this 8-bit, out of like it reminded me of some some of the animations from beyond the black rainbow if y'all have ever seen that mm -hmm. it's so aesthetically pleasing and the subtext the subtext is so horribly dark but hearing 8-bit here not just say i love you but the stutter i i love you just checks <laughs> all my boxes yeah i was like what is this a sierra game it did have that feel and it just falls into this the weird mythos that were given barely anything on, but makes you super curious of, okay, how deep does this rabbit hole go with this? Every, you don't, spoiler, they don't tell you shit by the end of the season, and you're hungry for more seasons of what's up with anything and everything. I'm a big fan of HBO because of their music supervision. I think they've got, like, historically for the last 10 years, some of the best needle drops in drama television, but oh man. Is there, you talk about subtext, 
we get Bert's retirement party where his song is Paul Anka's The Time of Your Life. Later, when Mark has a horrible revelation, well, when the audience has a revelation in Mark's house towards the end of the season, Billie Holiday's I'll Be Seeing You plays. Later on, we see we hear Mose Allison's Your Mind Is On Vacation, which I think is the song that actually plays at the end of the finale. So I, I like that they were pushing information to us in ways like that that were subtler because like neil said they're not they weren't interested in doing anything i think but set up this year but it's such a wild story and it's so open i think that it worked with me what do y'all think about some rapid fire questions we're all really into this show so i thought we'd have a little bit more fun we'll go one by one i've got a bunch of questions that we do not have answers for so you know you can make it short you can make it long we can talk about it Tessa, let's go first with you. Why is Lumen breeding goats? Why is Lumen breeding goats? Well, if we're going to go the weird cult or occult route, they could be sacrifices. If we're going to go really dark and sort of like black magic with this shit. This is already going exactly where I want it. Or clones. They could be cloning. Um, They could be experimenting on the goats and severing them somehow. I don't know how you would know the difference. I mean, a go A or B would probably still chew on grass. So I don't know. There is one piece of artwork where the here the founder is slaying a goat-headed man. There was one piece of artwork that had it in there. Oh, so I think it's all your it's all the above, Tessa. Yeah. Word. And then also to lay the eggs. Yeah, yeah, lay the eggs. I think that was my my favorite joke of the years. We figured it out. The goats lay the eggs. <laughs> oh, okay, Ryan. Um who is the board? Uh, I think that's I think that's a really good question that I was not totally sure about. I feel like I mean I feel like they're they're absolutely maybe some deeper level of this cult that's related to Kier somehow, but that that I'm not a hundred percent sure on. Um, that, that's that's a tough one. I like the most that we got yes when she asked, "Is anybody even on this call?" Because that was way better than not getting anything, but I think also better than hearing somebody just talk on the little voice box. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I didn't think we would get anything at all. And that little that little detail was it just just makes it even more ominous, which I absolutely loved. Okay, we'll go for you, Neil. Is the code reader in the elevator actually a thing? There was some discussion online which I don't really, you know, look into that stuff Reddit style very much, but this was such a weird one. That there's an opinion out there that there is no code reader. That whenever we see people caught, it's pretty much because they've got cameras everywhere. So they knew you were trying to sneak something and it's just next level behavior modification. I think there is a code reader because we see that one room that kind of controls the innies and outies. And the person who ran that room is absent for a few episodes but the transition was still happening i do know i'm pretty sure there's cameras everywhere they this company does not give a shit about people and its privacy just the product of the severance so it was well okay we know there's not a camera in the one in the innies restroom because milchek can't doesn't know where someone that someone's in there doing something at one point but uh, yeah, because Heli's trying to do all sorts of things, and it's like the reader can detect any sort of symbols or writing, and if you know, uh, it's implied she's going to swallow a message to retrieve later. It's like uh, you should just tell them how you know answer all the questions of how 
long ago you swallowed it so they know which way to go that was probably the spookiest line i thought of the whole show of he's just being calm with her of like he's probably tried it or heard a story of someone tried it of yeah they swallowed a message for later and it's it was it was not pleasant how they they retrieved that message to protect the innies and outies from each it other. It sounded personal, like he experienced it. Like he's like, yeah, you you don't want to. Yeah, do, you're right. You don't want to do that. You don't don't do that. <laughs> so there's a code reader. There's so many layers. Like I just thought of this now, but Cobell is severed from the board, and we barely got any of the board. Mm-hmm. And the reader, the, there's probably an automated part of this company running itself, like the the, the elevators and a code reader. Um, they don't seem to be shy or short of resources. They revamped their workspace radically overnight with two maintenance dudes. We saw that of, I called maintenance. It's almost like the scene from Pulp Fiction. Oh, you called the wolf? Yeah, you feel better? Like, I called maintenance and I'm like, oh, okay, that's all good now. Two dudes revamped that whole area in no time. Just to nod a little bit to what you mentioned there, Neil, you know, if anybody's out there doing wild pausing of TV shows... Cobell is, you know, management, you know, we know she works for the board, but she's on floor 11. The Mm. only thing above that on the elevator is a floor that says machines. I did not notice that. There's there's no one behind the curtain. Don't look behind the curtain. (laughs) Right. I like the idea that the terminals don't do anything. The code reader is not real. This is all just some crazy psychological experiment on the severance chip. I'll go back to comparing it to art and every time you look or view or hear it you're gonna see and feel something different the this show holds up the only complaint i have about this show jumping ahead is apple does not promote it like they should For sure. there's so many good shows on apple plus and they do okay jobs of kind of getting it out there yeah this and ted lasso for all of mankind all sorts of stuff they just don't get them advertised enough like uh, hopefully this episode reaches a lot more people to, to watch it or consider getting to Apple Plus to watch this. But yeah, that's my only downside to this whole thing is Apple doesn't promote their children enough. Okay, I've got a couple more of these rapid fires. I'm going to take the next one, which is what are the noises that people heard while they were in the break room? So there's a little bit to talk about this. When Helly's in there, she hears some like angry like male grumbling from the other room. Zach mentions that he hears crying babies. So at first I had thought, oh, well, there's just a fucking bunch of break rooms and you're hearing everybody having it out in their break rooms. But I think it might even be deeper than that. that Those might not be even real noises. They might be audio manifestations that are being created to unnerve whoever we've got in the break room. Mm. You know, Zach's got kids at home. Mm. He may in his subconscious as his any not know why that would bother him but as anybody who's lived with a bunch of small kids like kids crying you love them to death but that's a you know an anxiety inducing kind of thing and then revelations about heli that could be a male figure that uh you know she may be her unease playing from the other room but i like the idea that it's like the wellness room uh torture chamber it's, do you think it's in their subconscious or it's purposely piped in by Cobell, much like she brought the candle for the smell to trigger Yeah, that, that's what I think. I think that they're, for whatever kind of see they've got into these people's mind because of this procedure and all that, they're able to identify what those things are. So they're pumping the audio in. Oh, like sons specific, of bitches. Yeah. 
Like, the betrayal um, knows no bounds. This is for sure. When I watch horror movies uh, in Act One, I'm always like, how fucking possibly evil could this go? But this one, man, just having worked what I have in corporate America, was it really wasn't hard to think about how terrible the company could be. Okay, I've got another one maybe we can all take a shot at. What do you think the testing floor is? So when Miss Casey is retired, I believe is the, the phrase she uses, they direct her to the testing floor is okay. where Cobell says to take her. So she also mentions in the show that she hasn't been alive very long and that she's only called up, you know, for these things. And I certainly got the impression that other than doing her work in the office, in the wellness center, otherwise she's in the testing floor. So hmm. is it like a storage closet for the workers we don't want to let outside? Well, it's her and the goat keeper. We're not sure if they're severed. Truly, like they're the two people or not. Because O&D, optics and design seem to have, they're both, and MDR is both. And there's rumors of other departments, but we don't see anyone else. And then management is not severed. Yeah, because Casey says, my life has existed for 107 hours. That's all I know. Yeah, just her half-hour sessions. And, th and that's why she's so monotone. Like, she hasn't developed mm -hmm. a personality yet. Because she doesn't have that many hours in. There's a, a analog that you can kind of draw to they're like children down there they have memories in that they know how to speak and they don't really get into the do they know who the president is and stuff like that but you would assume all personalized information is gone but with all of that kind of stuff being gone not knowing if you're married not knowing if you have kids has to drastically diminish your social skills and your adaptability and stuff like that so Helly's reaction at the beginning, while it can be seen wild and all that, it can also be kind of seen as kind of childish in that she doesn't know what the fuck is going on. And you're going to have to really try and explain it to her. And then, you know, that does or doesn't work. But I like the idea of maybe when they start down there, they are more not idyllic, but childlike in that their minds kind of more blank slated. One more just for fun. You know, I think the. The break room, like I said, I think is the double entendre of the year. I love that it's spelled in two words instead of the colloquial one-word break room because the one that's in their office right next to them is the break room one word. The break room is the one down, down the hallway that they take them to. And I like that idea in the show. We've got the innies and the outies. We've got this break room and that break room. We've got this overtly religious like purity talked about through this organization of Blumen. And then we've got whatever the fuck the waffle party is. Woo! So my <laughs> question is just for fun. How dark do you think the show is going to get? Like, do you think this will be just a really creepy and be fucked up? Cause it's possible sci-fi or are we really gonna, gonna go more controlling of humanity as, as a business model dark that's gonna gonna either go supernatural or i mean I, it's already really dark like just to be clear but it's dark and it's gonna get darker because they're trying 
to, that we saw parts. They're trying to market this. There's that senator who's totally on board, and what it's being done with his family. They want to market this and shop it to people that you could sever a part of your life. It's tedious. It's work. You don't want to go through it. Mm-hmm. Sever yourself, and this other version will do all the literal and figurative heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. And when it's all done, you're just back on. It's being already a applied practically outside the company and the company wants to sell it to other companies to the general public dark as fuck it's it's definitely a social commentary and it's like a a social hierarchical strata of oh you don't want to work your boring ass job make your make your any do it for you you know it's the whole i originally went into this thinking that the severance was for uh confidential nda type stuff which it is for the people at Lumen in that office to a certain degree. But it's also, oh, you have a shitty, boring job and you don't want to have to deal with it? Here, sever yourself. Have have this schlub other version. It's other version use problem now. Yeah, and I think it also speaks to like what, what you were saying about the, the social commentary part of things. It speaks to pe- like the, the, the problem with people shutting off that work side of their life. Like everyone always wants to push it away. And there's also, you know, like people want to avoid humanizing and connecting with their with their coworkers, which is so important in a day where we need like things like unions uh, to connect and I, I connect and make sure that people have the rights that they deserve. And this is this is such a yeah, like you said, like like. Oh, turn your brain off. Just just don't think about we work. You hate it. Uh, you know, there's there's reasons why you, you you hate it. And there's a lot of oppressive things that are being, you know, put on you in these uh, really like horrible work environments. But, you know, just just don't think about it. Don't worry about it. Just 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 move on. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's the kind of feeling that I got from just that. be glad you have a job, Ryan. Exactly. Exactly. I should maybe I should be. And the company's goal is to create as most loyal fanatical followers that they can i think that it's a good time to go ahead and jump into final thoughts uh why don't you go first neil uh this has jumped to the this is the best thing i've seen all year i went in like this sounds fun it's got ben stiller we haven't seen much from him lately it doesn't look like uh meet the parents or something this looks like he's going out on a new limb, a limb he hasn't done much, and I was not disappointed in a second. This cast is stellar. The ones you know, the ones you don't know. There's so many layers. It's like it's like going to work, and you haven't been to all the floors or all the meeting rooms. They keep opening up, and you see different things. This is this is art. That's a that I reserve that word, and I don't use it much in TV. I can. This is like the third piece of TV I could put up there as art. And there's only one season so far. I'm happy there's more. I've recommended it to everybody. It's worth the Apple Plus subscription all by itself, but it also there's other great shit on there as well. I'm going to give this 10 out of 10 shitty self-help books that could cause a revolution to save the world. What about you, Ryan? Yeah, I uh, I love this show so much. I, I, I agree with you, Neil. I feel like this is... This is one of the best shows that I've seen in like a very, very long time. I It is just the funniest thing in the world that this is being put out on Apple Plus, considering all of the connections down to like down to like the font. The, the It just it just seems like an Apple font down to like the color choices, like this, the sterility of the, the interior of the building is just like reminds kind of reminds you of an Apple store a little bit. It's just it's so funny to me that they were able to do this. Even the, um, you know, the CEO of the company 
and the it just i i think speaks to just in general the way that people like deify you know celebrity ceos like elon musk and the way that people view them and you know like want to read the books that they write and the little like you know, just corny phrases and like self-help advice. And I, I just love that this show like takes all of those things and like turns it up to 11 and it, it'll, it really gets its point across for that reason. Because yeah, I, I think that like, yeah, people like people like Elon Musk absolutely have a weird cult like following and the way, the, the way that people love them, it, it, it kind of is like deifying them. And I love that this show sort of takes that very literally and yeah, I, I think that there's a lot. I, people say this a lot about different different things, but I feel like it's it is really kind of important that this show comes out right now, where we're thinking a little bit differently about our our, our just work culture in general. I, I that's it's an ongoing, you know, it's an ongoing conversation like throughout the decades, but now like with you know remote work and like how much control does x company have over who and with like star like companies like starbucks um unionizing i i think this is just i think it's a really important show right now and it's it's just so again it's it's just so ironic and very funny that it's that it is on apple plus and uh yeah everything i i have really no complaints i'm gonna give it 10 out of 10 finger traps all right and now our employee of the quarter who got the waffle party tessa I actually did get employee of the quarter at my job. I hope you did not have a waffle party. Uh, I did not have a waffle party. I get a parking space in the garage that I don't know where it is and eight hours of leave to use at my leisure. But uh, yeah, I would definitely echo what Neil and Ryan said. Um, also, the series makes me want to quit my office job and run screaming into the woods and live in a hut and just be some sort of forest witch. Uh, turn off all my cookies, smash all my phones. This is like what Black Mirror kind of wants to be. Like, this is like top tier. Like, this took that sort of idea of like dark, uh, existential technology gone awry um, and just done it in a, in a really well layered long form. Like, this is what Black Mirror wants to be. <laughs> like, the severance really knocked it out of the park. Um, this was unnerving for me. It made me uncomfortable and, and have feelings about my current, you know, job status and just various other office jobs I've had. Um, yeah, it's definitely very introspective. I mean, shit, like any sort of TV series that we want to talk about for this length of time. And there's only one season, nine episodes. It's got to be pretty good. Um, as we've said, the acting's great. The production quality, the music, the foley. Um, the lighting, the symbolism, the architecture, the location scouting, just everything in this is just top notch. Um, I, I can't really find much to fault with it. I would definitely give this 10 out of 10 really unnerving belly dance performances. You know, we're uh, nine episodes through the first season of a show where we watched four people work in an office and have no idea what they were doing. And I think that's a testament to the show because as much as I want to know, like that's not one of my first 50 questions about this show. I thought the look was great. I think the tone, like Ryan, uh, you know, was saying too, this is a show show of the day. You know, there's a lot to be said about home and work and home and work divided. And, you know, uh, especially a, con a country and a world coming out of so much 
uh, trauma that's still going on, the idea of, you know, yeah, I'd love to not be grieving for a while, but um, that's not really how it works. And I think that that's something that the show is showing through, too, that as much as this may be a show about this thing where you just turn your brain off, like I think a couple of us talked to and Tessa did, too, like you can kind of tell Marcus just as sad down there as he is when he's drinking up at the top. But I just love so much about it. Those hallway montages, man, the more they happened, the more I was into them. They were great. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, but the Billy Holiday I'll be seeing UQ fucked me up, dude. The end of episode seven, that was some real nice TV stuff. I love the look, the the care that went into what's happening and how the break room and the wellness uh, center looked. I think that... Um, this is the most hauntingly effective assistant vice principal vibe from uh, Mr. Milchek that, oh man, that dude worked at my high school. Like I remember that dude. I thought he had everything, but he might've had the keys that pull away from his waist. But other than that, like I just loved, he came off as the company man, you know, that was above and beyond. And yes, he works for Cobell, but he's got some initiative too. So when she might be sidestepped, he ain't breaking stride, you know. I thought that was great. But my big takeaway, besides how much I loved it, is that especially Adam Scott and Britt Lauer, but there needs to be an award given to this cast solely on the half smiles. Because, oh man, do these corners of these people's mouth never make it past the middle. There's so many shots of just somebody being like, hmm, yeah, I... And I think that's the idea of the show. Like, it wasn't all going to be horrible. We're not going to get too much as wonderful, but this really is a show about, like, you know, w- w- what does it mean if you're okay in either one of those situations? It still means that life was so fucked up that you split your life in half. So I can't wait to see what happens next. I'm going to go um, on a little relatable note nine and a half out of 10. Good cries in the parking lot. <laughs> 